As we've been working our way through Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul thanking God for all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And remember verse 3 through verse 14 is one continuous sentence. And uh, it makes a lot of sense when you realize it's all one continuous thought in Jesus, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. All these things happen because we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. Jesus said, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us and we in them in a perfect unity. And so when we come in Christ, we have eternal life. When we come in Christ, we are the elect. When we come in Christ, we are predestined for heaven and our new body and to live in his kingdom and to rule and reign with him. As we are in him, we are now kings and priests of God. What a glorious, continuous sentence this is. We discover we are chosen, the elect in Christ. We are predestined unto adoption into his family. We're accepted in the beloved. We've been redeemed by his blood. We've been forgiven from all our past, present, and future sins. His grace abounds towards us. He's made known the mystery of his will, hidden from the beginning of time, but now in these last days, through his Son, and through his prophets, and through his apostles, through the word of God, made known the mystery of his will, and he's given us an inheritance. All of these things are a part of the glorious gospel. Those who will believe upon him have unleashed a tornado of blessings into their life throughout eternity. So we've looked at inheritance, but there's more to look at still. We've looked at predestination, but there's still more yet to look at. And so once again in Ephesians 1.11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have attained an inheritance. That's in Christ, in him, we've obtained this inheritance, past tense. It's already a done deal. And don't forget, our inheritance isn't given to us until we get to heaven, which is our glorious new body. But yet Paul says it's already done. We do this often because it's that confident. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. He remains faithful even when we're not faithful even when we're not faithful, because he can't deny his own nature. This is why we say we're saved. We're really not saved. That's why you look in the mirror going, yeah, you're not saved. But God says I'm saved. Because saved literally is being in our new body, in heaven. No body that wants to sin. No spirit of the atmosphere of that kingdom that wants to sin. And no devil. That's, when we, that's what we've been saved unto. That end result, the Bible calls it being glorified. Well, glorification.
temptation has happened, not on this earth, not in your body. Satan has been locked up forever yet. So, but yet we don't say, oh, someday I'll get saved. Would you like to someday get saved? No. We, it's, it's a done deal because as sure as God said, he's faithful to, to right now, if you believe on him, to forgive you of all your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you the gift of, you, of eternal life. We are confident in his nature and it's going to be the same tomorrow and it's going to be the same the next day and it's going to be the same forever. God cannot lie. He will complete that which he started. So we have obtained an inheritance. Our new body, our glorification is going to happen. Again, some more things about what do we know about this inheritance? It's a gift from the Father, not something we earned. In Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The Father has qualified us. It's the will of the Father that all who believe in the Son will not perish, but that His Son should raise them up on the last day. I love Revelation 21, verse 6 and 7. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water, the fountain of water of life, freely to him who thirsts. Listen to verse seven: He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, some of you might say, "Oh, I knew there was fine print. It's up to me to overcome. If I don't overcome, then it's all, it's all gone." No. Look at First John five. Verse 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Verse 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We have already overcome the world because we said, Jesus, I believe you to be my Savior. You have you are, you will overcome. God is going to make sure that you overcome. Your faith in Christ has already overcome the past trials, tribulations, difficulties, sinfulness, struggles, depression, hardship. And it's going to happen again because we're in these human bodies, these doggone things, the things we don't want to do, we do. The things we do want to do, we don't do. That's our human flesh. But God is faithful. He's not letting us go. Our faith in Christ, the one time, has caused us to overcome and will cause us to overcome. Secondly, about our inheritance, it is an actual inheritance of God the Father to God the Son. But Jesus is causing us, also as children of God, to share in his inheritance with us. Do we get that? God only has one begotten son. Now, people often ask that question. What does it mean that God has one begotten son? I don't know, but I know what, why it's said there. 
because everybody who believes in Jesus is also his child. There is only one son that is God, the second person of the Trinity. But then God is going to have many, many children. A matter of fact, everybody in heaven will be equal to Jesus as a child. Isn't that just blow your mind? We are receiving exactly the inheritance of Christ. Jesus is sharing his inheritance with us. 1 John 1.12 And as many as received him, Jesus the Son, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. In Romans 8.17 And if or in the Greek sense, we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, what? Joint heirs with Christ. Our actual inheritance is actually Jesus' inheritance that he's sharing with us. Now, I just want to stop here and, and take a moment because I realize some of you here may say you're talking about so many wonderful things that I am not certain that I myself am I going to partake of. Or maybe there's somebody on social media right now that's listening saying, I am not confident of this hope that you are so confident of in your own life. So the question there remains, are you a believer? Are you born again? Let me explain this. Paul says it best in Acts 26, 18. He said his ministry was to open the eyes in order to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in Jesus. So, Today, this message is designed for that very thing. To open your eyes. You realize there's darkness in your life. You see the darkness in the world around you. But that darkness doesn't have to have power in your life. You can come to the light. Some of you are thinking of suicide very seriously. Some of you want to do it cleverly where you just take too much medication and nobody knows but this is satan he's out to steal and kill and destroy and you're lacking hope because if you're without jesus you are without hope in this world you can hang on to human hope but now you're at the end of your rope there's no more human hope left. Well, that's because you need to have all your hope in God. And now you need the forgiveness of sins and receive, as we're talking about today, the inheritance along with all who have made Jesus their Savior. John says it this way in John 20, 31. But these things I've written, the whole Gospel of John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life 
in his name. That's what you need, life, and that comes in Jesus. Jesus says it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but have already passed from death unto life. Even while you are alive, you won't die. Your body will, but you go from right, from being in this body, right to the Lord. In John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The children of Israel were murmuring, complaining, and, and the snakes began to come out of the ground and bite them, and they were dying from the poison of the snakes. And they cried out, Have mercy, God. And God said, Put a bronze serpent, an image of one, on a pole, and when somebody's bitten, they can look at that serpent and they will live. Jesus says this was actually a prophecy of him upon the cross. The pole representing the cross. No, Jesus didn't die in a pole. But it's not a perfect analogy, but it's an analogy. And the serpent, well, it represents Satan, but in this case, more broadly, a sin. And this is why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he who made, made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Hebrews, it says, the soul that sins shall die. Jesus hypothetically could have remained on that cross forever, but he died. Why? Because of sin, not his own. But your sins have put him to death but he conquered your sins and rose again. Very simply, let me just say it this way. God so loves the world, he loves you, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, 100% God in spirit, 100% human in body, that whoever believes in him, because he died on the cross, he was buried and rose again on the third day, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you will believe in Jesus and him crucified right now, and in your heart believe that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, then that Savior is Jesus, who is Christ our Lord. If you believe upon him, in your heart right now. Nothing more is needed. You are saved. Now we often lead people in prayer. Not necessary. But it's a good thing to confess with your mouth to the Lord that you believe in Him. So right now, if that's your heart, just simply say, Oh God, my Father, thank you for sending your Son Jesus I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. And I thank you that Jesus bore my sins and conquered my sins by raising again the third day. I believe in you. And my heart now is to walk with you and talk with you and follow you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So now it's this simple. Get a Bible, 
read it, start in the New Testament, maybe the Gospel of John, and just read the New Testament. And as God speaks to you through it, obey him. It's no more difficult than that. Well, let's return now to talking about the inheritance. And hopefully, it includes more people who are saying, hey, now it's for me. I'm more interested in this topic. So the third thing here is by the grace of God, we've received that day of inheritance. Nobody deserves an inheritance. Parents die, they leave something in the will. If something they choose to give because of the relationship they have with the person, usually their kids or grandkids. or But understand, your parents owe you nothing, right? Or the person who died owes you nothing. I mean, there are often cases where wealthy people have told their kids in advance, when I die, there is no inheritance. Make your own way in life. If you think you can be irresponsible with your life and at 50, when I, you know, you're 50 when I die and you become a multi-millionaire, not going to happen. Everything I get, have is going to various organizations. You're not getting anything. And they die and the lawyer says, yep, just like your parents said, you get nothing. They shouldn't be bitter or upset because they didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. It wasn't something they did that, was, that the parents did wrong. But God chooses to give us an inheritance because he loves us. In Acts 20, verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of grace, where we look not at ourselves, we get our eyes off ourselves. We get our eyes and keep our eyes upon God and his grace. When we're in need, we come boldly to that throne of grace and we receive from our God of grace all the grace and mercy we need. He will give it and keep flowing it in in infinite portions. All the grace you need and then more grace. Extra grace. There's always extra grace spilt. Make sure that you know that, you, you know, it wasn't close this time. You almost ran out of grace. There's always extra grace because God gives grace upon grace. In Titus 3, 7, it says, having been justified by his grace. Justified means just as if we've never sinned. Pure, holy, righteous. We've been justified, made righteous by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope. That Greek word is confidence, certainty. Our word is hope, like we cross our fingers, got a rabbit foot in my pocket, I hope that happens. That's not the Greek word. When you see the word hope in the Bible, that is not the word. It's, we, we should probably just make a little note in all our Bibles when we see the word hope in the Bible to write the word certainty. We have become heirs according to the certainty of eternal life. Number four about our inheritance. It's held by the power of God. It is not kept by the power of your goodness or of your obedience. We are going to receive our portion in heaven as a gift, not as a reward of your obedience or goodness. This portion of the inheritance, anyway. 
In 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are, and it's kept by the power of God through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in these last times. And then the fifth thing, we receive the inheritance of itself, or it is its very nature is eternal and also eternal life because everything God does is eternal. And don't forget the best part. It's eternal blessings and heavenly places with eternal life. All of this is in Christ, with Christ. Psalms 37, 18 says, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be, what? Forever. Okay, you may go back to sleep now. <laughs> Number six. What else are we inheriting? Notice this. A mansion. That mansion's in a heavenly kingdom. That heavenly kingdom's in a heavenly city. That heavenly city's in a heavenly country. And that heavenly country is our homeland or just our home. We're finally going to be home. I got some news on Thanksgiving Eve. My Aunt Wilma, Cheryl's aunt, her mother's sister, they were like twins since the day they were born. She's a couple years older than my mother-in-law. Unseparable. She's been having a hard time and she's been having to be in a care facility. And because of the COVID, she hasn't, they haven't been able to visit her. But they, they said on Thanksgiving Day, the family can visit. And just one of those things, all the family happened to be able to be there in, in town, there in Tulsa, Oklahoma that day. And had one of the best visits they've had in years. And then they got a call, surprisingly. There was no visibility of why that would happen, but she passed on. What a wonderful Christian lady. She's home. What a comfort. Should be a comfort to everyone that we one day, like my Aunt Wilma, will no longer be pilgrims and strangers here. People said, man, don't you want to get out of California? Everywhere's weird to me. It, it, it wouldn't matter. Nowhere is home here. And I feel it. The longer I live, the stranger I feel here. Young people having long hair. Oh, no. That was my, that was my parents. I'm sorry. Um, it's just a weird place. And getting weirder by the second. And of course, we are in the days before the rapture happens. And so the prophecies are happening. We're starting to see a one world government take place right in front of our eyes. We have been told in speeches by the France emperor, by the Canadian emperor, by Prince Charles, who wrote a book on it, The Great Reset where everybody in the world is equal. Whether you're in China or India or Africa or America, everybody gets $15 an hour. 
and to get $16 an hour would be evil. You should have to give it back by taxes. They will take care of everything. You just give them their money and they'll take care of you. And they're going to keep you healthy by standing in a four-hour bread line. And they'll all lose weight because there won't be any food. These are the days we're heading into and we're not afraid. We've been warned. Wars and rumors of wars and pestilence. The changing of times and seasons. It'd be a time when a man could go to and fro throughout the entire world. We haven't lived on a planet very long that could do that. But of course, none of this can happen unless Israel is a nation. <gasps> they are. But hold it. They have to have possession of Jerusalem. Oh, they do. Wow, I guess the Lord can come anytime then. We are in the last days. We're going to see the governments of the world come together and eventually out of the ancient geography of Rome, which is Europe, the last holding place of the Roman Empire, interesting enough, was Istanbul, Turkey. I don't know if that plays into it or not. But somewhere out of that European federation, of course, they would all have to come together like something like a European Union. Oh, they did. And out of that European Union, a little horn, not a significant country, will take out three other countries and control them, and then from there control the world. A one-world military force, a one-world government, a one-world economy, where you have to have a mark on the back of your hand or your forehead. Interesting, the other day I heard, and it was on a main channel, that they said that each of the shots that they are going to give for the corona, the vaccine, will actually glow afterwards. And in a black light, you can see if you've had it or not. I don't know, but it makes sense. Is the mark of the back of your hand or your forehead. They need to be able to see that somehow. So, and then from there, he will create a one world religion as he rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem. He will have a Jewish mixture of all the religions of the world. And the Antichrist will rise up. And of course, we're going to be raptured before that happens. But we're going home sooner than later. Let me just say it that way. And I don't expect that the coronavirus is the last thing we're going to see here. I, I, I don't think this is going to be the end of the pestilence. I think we're going to see a lot more. But let not your hearts be troubled. The Lord told us that this would be the most blessed generation to live in. Even though things are happening on earth, people are losing their comforts and their wealth of earth, it doesn't matter because our home's in heaven all along. Location, location, location. When you buy real estate, right? Your location's in heaven. Moth and rust can't destroy it. Newsom cannot tax it. You will be with the Lord. 
John 14 says that, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Hebrews 11, verse 13 and 14. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but have seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, for us. Amen. I love what Chuck Smith says at this point. Bless God. I am an heir in the richest family, the family of God, and not of riches that will perish with time, but eternal riches of his kingdom. I would stop and say to all of you at this point, in the strongest and most profound of way, do not fear, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom in Luke 12, 32. Well, let's go on to look now at predestination once again. We've been predestined according to the purpose of him. Once again, we are face to face with the sovereignty of God because it says that those who are God's elect, these people have been predestined with an eternal plan and it is kept by God's power. It is unchangeable. And since God is all powerful, nothing can harm it we see that he has predestined according to the purpose of him that we would not perish, but that we should come to the knowledge of him, continue to grow in the knowledge of him, that we would be conformed into the image of his son and that we would inherit his kingdom. He's predestined to go to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Who can give God counsel? He knows the beginning to the end. All things have happened to us the moment we believed in Christ, a predestined plan kicked in that the all-powerful God is watching over. He has protected it, and God's predestined plan for our lives shall stand sure and fast. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, God shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of God. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. It's like this. You decided to join the team. And I picked you to join the team. So now, as a football team member, you discover that I, as the coach, have a plan, 
oh, really? I thought we were just going to go out and kick the ball around, throw it to each other, take a shower, and then game day, we're just going to, you know, see what happens. No, every coach predestines, doesn't he? He predestines every practice. I guarantee you, it's on a calendar every single practice for the entire season and what they're going to work on. They already know every game you're going to play. Believe me, before the season starts, they already know who your adversary is going to be and when you're going to fight that battle. Right? And he's got a plan to win. And in God's kingdom, we are undefeated. Romans 8:28 says, For we know that all things work together for those who love God. Of course, everybody who believes in the Son, the Father says, You received the Son, you received me. You look to Jesus as your Savior. You have obeyed me, and I love those that obey me. So all of those who have believed in Jesus as Savior have loved the Father. And those who are the called according to his purpose, only the elect. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident in this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Why? Because we are predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's why Paul can be certain. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, the ancient times, things that are not yet done, says my counsel shall stand. Do I get an amen on that? And I will do all my pleasure. Another amen? Amen. Let's try it again. Saying my counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. Amen. As a child and an heir of the kingdom of God, this should give you great comfort and joy knowing the purposes of God shall stand. I'm thrilled when I think about God's purpose for us and for our future. For I know that he's going to do of his good pleasure and nothing shall stand, nothing shall be held back from us because it is God's will and all things are completed by the counsel of his will. Well, that leads us finally to verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ to be to the praise of his glory. It must be a glorious thing to realize that Paul was in the very first group of people to preach Christ. He could go into a known unknown part of the world or to a new city he didn't ask hey have you heard about jesus of course you haven't heard about jesus <laughs> nobody in the world's heard yet because we're the first group and paul in the first three generations to each of those who believed were the first of the first it was sweet i can tell you we went into the eastern black countries right after the iron carton fell i remember flying into budapest hungary and there were just hundreds of guys with machine guns it was like being right out of a world war ii movie and then we went in and it was just third world iron curtain you know eastern block setup 
They didn't really know what to do with their freedom. They didn't understand it at all. But I remember we'd go into the streets and people would flock around and we with the translator, we'd tell them about Jesus. And I can't not tell you, it was like cutting a cube of butter with the hottest knife you can imagine. They melted. They just had, they knew God existed. They know we'd go into schools, high schools, and the teacher would say, we keep having this conversation. We've never been able to talk about God before. But we don't know. We know lying's wrong and cheating's wrong and rape is wrong and murder is wrong. But why? And under the Soviet Union, it was wrong because they'd throw you in the gulag. That's why it was wrong. But now we're free, but it's still wrong. And you say, look, out of your own mouth, you're saying we've all been made on the entire planet by the same being, with the same conscience, with the same heart. And we all have this moral knowledge, the same on all the planet. How could everybody have this common moral knowledge if we were evolved separately no it shows that we've all been made by one designer i mean can't you do that if you know art you could go into an art gallery and without even looking to at the signature you can just say oh that's a rembrandt i know that's his stroke his coloring and you can see, no matter what, even if it's a completely contrasting, different type of picture, you can still see the common thread of that one artist. This is what we see throughout the planet. And we would just simply say to them, and that God who gave you that conscience, that God who put that moral law in your heart, His Spirit is speaking to you. That's why we're talking. And He's telling you that you've broken God's law. And that you need to be saved from your own sinfulness. And God loves you. And he sent his only begotten son that you could be forgiven of all sin and be given the gift of eternal life. Oh, the iron curtain came down. We heard about God and it was good news. He's not the mean Allah of the Muslim religion who destines into fatalism according to the, the, whatever his will is. Will of Allah got blown up. Will of Allah, you got cancer. The will of Allah, it's just suck it up. It's the will of Allah. No. He's not some legalistic God like the Eastern religions where you got to crawl on your knees for miles or Live your life walking on your hands. Fasting in Norton Adam in a days a year. Living in some oppressive world where cows can poop all over you and walk into your store and you can't do anything about it because that's the final evolution of reincarnation. After a cow, you go to nirvana, which means nothingness. You just finally disappear into nothingness. That's their goal, to just stop existing. They could have heard any one of those Gospels. I'm sure in time they heard them all. 
But we were the first. And they were the first to hear. And let me tell you, they didn't, they didn't go, oh, that's good to know. I'll put that in my diary to look back on it. Some. They went and told their whole families. They told everybody in their commie condos. That's what we call them. They, the, you know, the communists are just like, oh, you got a bunch of rats. So we just need to make everybody with a little cage and just make it, you know, 50 stories high and make it in with an elevator that never works. Man, they told everybody. I can tell you it was glorious. Maybe you're the first to believe in your family. And you went and told your family what Christ had done for you and done for them. And he says you were the first to trust in Christ to the praise of his glory. We have sort of ignored this phrase because it's been said three different times in Ephesians in verse 6, the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 12, we should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, unto the praise of his glory. Jesus said something similar in Matthew. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All that you did is now to the praise of the glory of the Father in heaven. I love Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. The glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles, that's us, shall come to your light. Kings of the brightness of your rising. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 10 through 12. Paul writes, and he comes in that day to be glorified in the saints to the praise of the glory of his grace, to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling, fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, Work with faith and with power. And the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And you in him. According to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Peter writes, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Oh Lord, we once again come and feast at the table of our inheritance and the great joy and comfort that comes knowing that when we have believed upon you, we have become the elect. And when we have become your elect, our coach has predestined all our days that you are still daily giving us a free choice whether to walk in it, but we can daily deny ourselves, take up that cross and walk in the predestined plan that you have for us. And we know that you are gonna get us there. We will never perish, but you, according to the good pleasure and according to the counsel of your will, which always stands, we shall live eternally neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. 
will ever separate us from your love for us. And Lord, that we now might live a rich, full life, that men would see our good works and our lives would shine as a light to all the world. And they would see our good works and they would glorify you. That all that we say and do would be in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And as we walk in the Spirit, we would glorify you, God. And that your glory would shine forth in the world around us as men look upon us and listen to our words and see our life. And even though we are persecuted for doing right, that even then, after all the dust is settled of their lies and accusations, throwing mud and dirt, trying to make us look crazy and evil, even though we're doing good, that when all the dust is settled, they cannot deny that our good works have come from God that our good works have been done to the glory of God the Father and through the power of, the, of Jesus Christ. Let us taste and see that you are good and let others through our life taste and see that you are good. We yield ourselves anew afresh to you today. We find ourselves humbled once again today that we're, you are so righteous that we still fall short daily in this human flesh. On this earth, we fall short of your glory. But we want to do better, not for earning anything, but just to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. amen.